When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. So he's like working his way through the visual storing, which then oh, turns yeah, into yeah. the script instead of starting with the right. script and then moving on to storyboards because the visual seems so much more important for him. That makes a lot of sense though, because there's like a huge addition to the third act of Totoro that honestly makes the movie. Um, and he said it wasn't in the original story, but he like was working on the, he, they were in production of the movie and he was like, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> we don't really have a third act. Hold on. <laughs> this so. one ends kind of abruptly too. Uh, at least in my mind, it did. Like, you're on this journey. Yeah. I, I remember watching us getting close to the end. Like, how are they going to wrap this up? She still has her parents. She's still got to ch- yeah. turn, you know, fi- figure out what's going on with Haku. Like, it felt like there was so much. We should talk about And then it wrapped up. We should talk. Yeah, we should. Uh, we, we should talk about the third act until we address some yeah, of the sure, other Yeah, sure. But like, it's, not, it's not like the <laughs> most linear of, of storytelling. So... You're on Midnight Local, the podcast from How to Drink, where we just talk about things. Movies. Uh, pop culture. Maybe some video games. That too. All the things. The things. The stuff and things. All of the stuff and the things on Midnight Local. Let's get to it. All right, Meredith, let's talk about Spirited Away. Is that how we start the show? We just say that? I can never keep this straight. What are the rules? <laughs> well, we of this don't show? ever start the show. Our wonderful editor finds a funny moment from the show and starts it for us. So that's kind of nice. That's great. That's great. A funny editor. <laughs> Do that now. <laughs> Get to work. <laughs> yeah. And show. Do you have this problem? I I make your face as big as I can on this screen and I put it right under my lens, but I, my eyes still want to look at me. I'm still self-obsessed. I can't stop looking at my own. I usually do. I'm a little afraid to fuck with anything right now. That's fine. I want to tape over my own face. So I only look (laughs) at you. I'm, I'm a, maybe I can open a browser or something and slip it over it. There we go. That's it. Yes. I just put my calendar over my face. That's perfect. Yes. I've expanded you, but I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little human right in the bottom of the, that's what I did. Yeah. And I'm still looking at my own little human because I'm a narcissist. I am like narcissists who will look at his (laughs) reflection and starve. My eyes, my eyes slip down there from time to time. A little, just a little Greek. Well, just a little Greek parable for you there. Um, Speaking of that, I've been playing this game uh, obsessively. We did an episode on it, the um, Hades. Oh, yeah. Where you play the son of Hades trying to escape from Hades. 
We did it. I played it a little bit before, but now I'm obsessed with it because I put it on the Nintendo Switch and I can play it mm-hmm. in bed um, every night, uh, which is better than doom scrolling. I will fall asleep playing a game. I will never fall asleep doom scrolling. So I put the phone on the other side of the room. I play Hades and I die. And then that's bedtime. Since Twitter's gone down the tubes, I've been it's now X. Well, you know, whatever. I, not to me because I've stopped using it completely, but it's really helped with doom sure. scrolling. I am on threads so far. I just don't doom scroll yes. on that in the same way, which is fine. Yeah. I, I created a threads account, but they don't have a dark mode yet. So I can't use it okay. until that exists. Um, yeah. I just can't look at it that way. All right. Let's talk about the movie spirited away. What year did this come out? Like mid so early 2000s? It came out in Japan remember. in 2001. And then I don't. Oh, wow. Yeah. Totally I don't think it came out in the U S until 2003. Have you seen a lot of other music? No, so I come into this very green. On oh, wow. Miyazaki and really yeah. on anime. I know we've that's covered okay. it in How to Drink, and I would say that's about the extent of my knowledge. And all right, so that's like a yeah Avatar, which you like to tell me isn't an anime, which fine, but like that's that's what I'm working with. It's here. anime inspired, yeah. but it's Western right. created show. Yeah, but uh, all right, so wow, so prime one we got to do a lot more miyazaki on the show because i love miyazaki that guy can make a fucking movie um and because i i personally think that because the sensibilities are very different from what you see in western film and animation that like it kind of goes places you don't expect it to it's fun it surprises me as a westerner i wonder if to a japanese audience it would be surprised probably not they probably, you know what I mean? It's probably like ho-hum, but for me, it's like, well, this is yeah. cool. <laughs> I think like some of the stuff that I'm reading just to get a background of Miyazaki and an understanding for the film is that he is kind of the Walt Disney of Japan, which I think he would hate because he's- He hates Disney. Yeah. yeah. He says it's too low act, as easy entry into the film. It doesn't trust its audience, stuff like that. But I think for the Japanese sensibilities, he hits- in the way that Disney oh, yeah. hits to our sensibilities. Although Disney loves Disney. Uh, Japan loves right. Disney too, which is why there's a Tokyo Disney and a lot of that over there. I mean, I would love to go to Tokyo Disney. This is how to drink wants to go there. Yeah. Pretty bad. Um, so we're either going to have to take a long boat or I'm going to have to get into some serious, serious flying therapy. Yeah. Or something. I you just know. like take a boat to Europe. I mean, yeah, you have to take several boats in that case. You could take a boat to Europe and then you can overland all the way to the uh, east coast of right. China and then take a ferry to Japan. You can do that. It's a year long trip. I feel like you need a top hat and steamer <laughs> trunks for that. Like, you know, it's like we're going abroad. Ha ha. You know, we shall be back. We don't know when. Probably a hot air balloon would be involved <laughs> at some point. Horseback uh, riding. Zeppelin. Yeah. Horseback. We, we, we took the overland route instead of the Yellow River. No, the... the uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I really like his movies. I only came to them a couple of years ago because... Or a year and a half ago, I guess, really. Maybe two years ago. Because they were on HBO Max. And I was like, I've never really checked out any of these. I like half watched Princess Mononoke when it came out. I have not yet revisited it. At the time, I was like fuck is this um but my kid loves all okay of them. so it was i have the experience of watching all of these with like a five six and now seven year old um and seeing it with her and it's a totally different experience and also kind of like wading into that slowly because some of these are not super appropriate for sure. like a five-year-old in fact i was worried about spirited away because it seemed like it was gonna be scary as hell yeah it's her favorite okay. one she wants to watch it constantly i was gonna say it feels 
dark to me in the way that like 80s kids movies feel dark. Like it just sort of. Yeah. Has a more tangible yeah. feel to it. So I I would I would sure. think like um, the witch in the movie feels somewhat to me like even though they're very different, the like bad guy in um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which isn't animated, but like I got the same right. sort of just like crawly feeling. I was to say like as you're, I like what you say about the '80s things, but then like it, it still pales. Like if you look at um, Atreyu dying in Never Ending Story or whatever, like some genuinely tra- traumatizing events. Like there's no happy endings in some of that shit. The Never Ending Story is a great example. Yeah, that horse stays dead, baby. <laughs> Yeah, well, and even like the the characters that you like that you're uh that are like your good guys that are with you feel I don't know, creepy in a way. Yeah. I have very limited exposure to that and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I think I've seen Never Ending Story. Okay. Once, but um I remember the sequel quite well though. Pot yeah. two. It it never ended, but then they made more of it i don't know well it's never ending they could keep making it yeah just see never ending sounds sequ- circular so how do you what is that like a tangent or is it like a wart <laughs> on the side of that circle how does that work a little growth i don't know an addendum so what did you think of this movie so it's your first miyazaki i didn't realize that yeah so here's what i get this sense of I, first of all I, re- I really liked it i think that um animation in the u.s has started to get a little boring for me uh with the okay. exception of not to say the exciting things aren't happening, like across the universe, the Spider-Man sure. movies are really cool. They look different. They feel different. But as far as Disney animation, it's all got the really puffy sort of Bratz dolls. Like it just is starting to feel the same. Yeah. Well, they took that from anime. That's a Western that's anime inspired ideas through a Western lens. So what, if you look at the history of like Disney animation specifically, they call it neotenization which is comes from neonatal. So they neotenized all of the characters by giving them the, the proportions of a baby. So their eyes get mm-hmm. huge, their mouths get small. Um, their heads are like, you know, physically, if I've, I think I've seen some anatomical designs, like if you looked at like, you know, uh, Anna's face from frozen, but you peeled off her skin and looked inside her skull, she would have like eyeballs the size of grapefruits. There's no room left for a brain, <laughs> which actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so that's actually, and if you look at anime, like that's a big thing from anime that differentiated it from Western animation is that like the faces are neotenized, you know, or kawaii if you really want. Um, you watch like Snow White, like she has normal human mm-hmm. features because she's at least partially rotoscoped. Well, and it's just everything looking the same now. It's just like, I don't know. I, yeah. Like they could all homogenized. Yeah, homogenized, exactly. Like they could all live in the same exact world. And like, I'm excited to see this Ninja Turtles movie coming out just because it looks different, just because it's something different to look yeah. at. And, uh, you know, I'm looking yeah. at a picture of, I'm looking at the Spirited Away poster right now. And like, she's interesting and beautiful. And you've got the little rosy cheeks and these like iconic things can that, that draw you to this character that I just don't feel drawn yeah. to. I will say, I mean, you talk about it being different, but like once you go down the rabbit hole, like there's not that much variation in me specifically, like there's a Miyazaki style, sure. you know, like it's going to look pretty much the same to the extent too, is that like, I think he even recycles and Disney does this too. Like they recycle character designs where like, Oh, like, you know, that's, I saw that person in the background of this other movie. They just took that face and, and used it again. Yeah. And I'm just saying where I'm at right now with us mainstream animated sure. films, 
turning this on and watching it was really refreshing from the start. Yeah, absolutely. Even though his movies might all have have a unified look. Like for me in this moment, yep, I was immediately yep. drawn into the story just because it was something different and beautiful and fun to look at. Yeah. You got to watch like, um, so, and you were talking about the anime that we've looked at on how to drink. That's all like modern shonen stuff, basically, which is a totally different in the same way that we look at all rum as being a category. Mm-hmm. It's really not like, you know, pot stilled rum is so different from column stilled rum is so different from a rum agricole. Like it's, they should be considered completely separate spirits in my mind. Um, to look at anime as a singular category or a singular genre, which is even worse, is really dumb because like shonen is so. It would be like saying um, Degrassi is exactly the same as Gone with the Wind hmm. because they were both made in the West yeah. on film. <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's yeah, live action. Well, I, I don't even know if Degrassi. I guess Degrassi Probably. was made on it started film on film point. at yeah, least, but yeah. it's it's live action western. Yeah. yeah, three strip or three. Yeah, I hear what rather. you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, you say like a western is exactly the same as Blade Runner. You know, it's like that's insanity. So, um, actually, Degrassi is a better example. Or Saved by the Bell, because um, really, that's what Shonen is marketing towards is like 14 year old boys, basically, and so it it speaks the language of 14 year old boys. Miyazaki movies are not that mm-hmm. at all. In fact, I, you know, maybe less this one, no, this one too. But like when I was watching, you got to watch Totoro, which is phenomenal. Um, I love Totoro. Love that movie to death. Um, but like you watch that and like the opening sequences and stuff like that and the way the camera moves and the way that he's like framed shots. It's like, Oh, I just feel like I'm watching, you know, some great, epic that was filmed in 1988 you know i'm thinking of like uh um the last emperor or something with like these huge slow moving panoramas and like the slow reveal of this character as we get closer or something it feels like you're watching lawrence of arabia Mm -hmm, or something mm -hmm. you know like the way it's the way it's shot for lack of a better word there's nothing like that in western animation right well and i read something interesting that like this was done it was started without a script. Like he works from the visual oh, storytelling. <laughs> it, it is wild. Like I can read exactly what he says about that process, but um, that seems hard in animation. <laughs> well, it's not to say, not to say it was animated without a script. I mean, like he, right. so here's what he says. He, he says he usually doesn't have time. So the story develops when I start drawing storyboards, uh, Production starts very soon thereafter while the storyboards are still being developed. So he's like working his way through the visual storying, which then turns into the script instead of starting with the script and then moving on to storyboards because the visual seems so much more important for him. Yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense though. And and keep in mind, I mean, even Disney did that, right? They would basically storyboard the movie as script writing. You know, in the early days, you see them standing there at the big right. board and they've got all the boards set up and stuff like that. And they're rearranging and changing them. And, um, but like, and also the other thing to keep in mind too with animation is that like production doesn't mean like location shooting. It could mean like the painting of background. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, getting actors into a booth to have them improvise and see what we get and stuff like that. So, well, and if he's trusting that to be the thing that pulls the story along, it's unlikely he would feel the need to go back to the beginning of the film and make things feel linear, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense though, because there's like a huge, 
addition to the third act of Totoro that honestly makes the movie. Um, and he said it wasn't in the original story, but he like was working on the, he, they were in production of the movie and he was like, wait a minute, right? <laughs> we don't really have a third act. Hold on. This so. one ends kind of abruptly too. Uh, at least in my mind, it did like you're on this journey. Yeah. I, I remember watching us getting close to the end. Like, how are they going to wrap this up? She still has her parents. She's still got to ch- yeah. turn, you know, fi- figure out what's going on with Haku. Like, it felt like there was so much. We should talk about, and then it wrapped up. We should talk. Yeah, we should. Uh, we we shouldn't talk about the third act until we address. Some yeah, of the sure, other we can. Acts, but uh, <laughs> it's not. It's not like the I most linear this. of of storytelling. So, uh, you don't think so? I mean, it progresses through it, time from front it, to back. It does, but it's like you get your sort of problem, and then you get like all of what feels like story chunks, like almost shorts within like, like the, um, I could see that the smelly yeah. monster, the, the, Oh, no face. Oh no. The smelly monster is, um, shit. I forget his name too. He's not no face. He is like stink monster or something. The, I think, I think they just call I him. I think stink so. Monster. Yeah. Yeah. And so that felt like its own short sort of within the movie for me, like yeah. its own little 15 minute. Yeah. Thing yeah. Yet. I, well, and I think that part of that is just sort of like I was breaking it into a three act structure. I think he's just like a little bit less glued to a three act structure. You know, it's a meandering personally to mansplain. I would say less that this is nonlinear and more that it, it takes a meandering sure. route through a couple different sides. I'm with people. you there. And then it's like when he's done meandering, he's like, oh, let's finish the film. You got to have an ending. And it's just like, Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to get yeah. to the end here. Yeah, I like it. I love that structure. I it's really a musical like structure. The, um, to me. No, that's interesting. Uh, like, oh, I think of. I would not have. One of the that. biggest. So, for Boy Meets Girl, my like student film musical was that everything comes up to the like sort of science fair at the end of the movie and then it all sort of wraps up very quickly. And it's like, but if you look at musicals like Anything Goes and things like that, like you have this last scene where everyone's on stage and you realize this piece fits with this piece and these two people have fallen in love and it all just sort of is like, Oh, and everything's yeah. fine. And that's kind of how musical yeah. theater is. So there's like a lot of different little side plots and stuff. Yeah. That all sort of wrap up in this final number moment. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand So this movie opens, they're in the car, they are driving to their new home and uh, dad goes crazy 
he he like snaps or something and decides let's take a shortcut through the woods and drives outrageously fast through the woods. Yeah, like, like up that mountain. Well, they can see what is going they on. They can see the house, but they can't quite figure out how to get to it. If I remember, I don't know that. I was watching. I was like, what the. Fuck? It's yeah. happening. It just seems I don't do the other. I forget now. Do the other characters even comment on like, oh yeah, you are driving like a crazy person, right? They do. She says like, slow down. Mom might. Yeah, mom might. But um, Chihiro is just sort of looking out the window and taking it in. Right. Yeah, mom's a little overbearing. She they're seems both, tough. She yeah, seem, they both. They're both kind of yeah, jerks. Yeah, she keeps saying like, I'm afraid. I don't want to do this. Like, and they're just they completely dismiss the feelings of their child, 100. percent Yeah, you know it's funny. It feels. Oh wow, it feels like labyrinth. I never thought about that before. I'm not going to be able to fully. I've never sat down. I've seen na- labyrinth in nightclubs. That's about it. <laughs> like it's always playing in the background of some dance party. Okay. <laughs> but I've never sat down and watched. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, you should watch it. Well, it's a, a girl who is largely ignored and dismissed by her parents. And she asks the goblins to come and take away her baby brother. Um, and thinks that's what she wants and immediately realizes she needs to get him back. And then in this movie, she kind of, you know, I mean, she kind of talk, tries in the similar way without her really asking for it. The goblins come and take away her parents and she immediately has to embark on the quest. Very similar. Yeah. Because in this one, her parents get taken, they start eating and then are eating sort of compulsively. And then they turn into pigs. Big old hammies. Scary, 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 scary. It's scary shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So your kids like this. They're not afraid that it doesn't. Well, I don't know about the younger yeah. one. Yeah. The thing is, until the kid's like two years old, they can watch anything because they have no mm-hmm. context. Like you can watch just about anything with a two year old and they're just like, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what any of this is. So I'm not, I don't know to be afraid of it. But yeah, even from like five or six, six years old, she this was like her favorite one. She always wanted to watch it. And I was a little like, I want to see some of the other ones. Um, <laughs> but she like, you know, cause I like it, but it's definitely not my favorite of right. his movies. Um, but yeah, she loves this movie and I was hesitant to show it to her. Cause I, we even not knowing, seeing it, I knew there was some mm-hmm. scary stuff. Um, yeah. And so like one of the things too, that's like a little, you know, coming to this from a, as, with Western eyes is like this movie deals heavily with concepts from Japanese folklore, obviously that like, I think are kind of innate mm-hmm. or are, you know, just like a embedded cultural knowledge in Japan that like, mm-hmm. we just don't have like, you know, like we know what vampires right. are, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But like, I don't know what little frog boy is and stuff. <laughs> I think that's very true. Like the soot sprites uh-huh. that show up in this show up in Totoro and maybe even a couple of other movies of his as well. Um, those are like a recurring theme. Well, and I would imagine just even like cultural feelings and interpretations of animals, like vary from Western to Eastern cultures. Yeah. Uh, d- don't uh, watch out or you might slip into the spirit world. Right. And if you do, do not eat their food. I mean, now that I'm saying that out loud, that sounds very Irish. Actually, that sounds like the the fairy folk. You know, you don't want to. It's a Gaelic idea. Or like crossing the bridge is such a big, like immediate, like danger. You got to hold your breath. Yeah, exactly. Or else you'll be visible. Yeah. 
um some some wild just some weird shit in here, <laughs> but it's all explained pretty well i don't know i know oh yeah I, I know that they've added some lines into the um although i didn't watch it dubbed i watched it uh with subtitles oh, yeah oh that's crazy wow that's interesting well i was gonna say that was actually one of the things i wanted to say is that like all of his movies even like older ones, like the dubbed versions have like huge names doing mm-hmm. all the parts, the uh, big American actors in the roles, um, which uh, I guess you missed out on. Not that it really matters, but like they're not like. Um, and it's not like he gets bargain based, right? You know, uh, anime dub artists to come in and, and do like the Sunshine TV version of these things. Like, well, in this one in particular, because like. So like a couple stats that are interesting about how this became sort of Westernized is that it was like, or came to Western culture. They didn't really Westernize it, but a little bit, it sounds like in the dub, because it sounds like they added some context that they thought might be necessary for people. That's helpful. Yeah. So they say that uh, it was the first film to earn 200 million in gross before opening in the U.S., which is probably what started to peak the U.S. interest of like, we need to get in on this. Um, Yeah. And then it was Disney that picked up and helped distribute it. Yeah. For all of his hatred of Disney, like I think Disney is pretty involved in his business model. I I guess they don't mind him biting the hand that feeds a little bit or something because he's a big deal. But And he gives them a nod. Like I guess in there's a they go into Saniba's house and there's a jumping lamp with the sound effect. That's a nod to the Pixar logo. Oh. Yeah, for all of his hatred, like there's definitely a, a copacetic relationship going on there. If you watch uh, Kiki's Delivery Service dubbed, uh, Kiki's, it's a great one. You'll love it. Um, actually, I think you'll uh, really like that one. But Kiki uh, makes friends with like kind of a surrogate mom, and she's voiced by the lady who does mm-hmm. Daisy Duck. Um, and uh, it's distracting. Mm-hmm. It's distracting because like all I hear is Daisy Duck. (laughs) Well, I guess he's just generally sort of a curmudgeon. Like I guess when iPhones and iPads came out and people became more connected to internet and AI and he hates all of this stuff. So I've heard he's not the easiest guy to work with. I have. Yeah, I've heard this. Um, But, you know, anybody with like a any auteur with a really hardcore vision is going to be generally and especially older people of the industry i mean maybe you know of the industry i don't know japanese industry is probably a lot different so uh walt wasn't an easy guy to work with either yeah (laughs) so yeah so they they then that explains why like two years later it came to the u.s i know that it did the festival circuit it did really well there so there was all of this buildup won an oscar did it win an oscar i think so yeah I wonder if that was after its U.S. release. It would have had to have been. It would have been based yeah. on the U.S. release, I think. Um, I'm going to look it up right now. But yeah, the uh, I mean, all of his movies seem to get releases. I don't think any of his movies haven't been released in the U.S. I think this US. was the first one, though, that really. Oh, it did big yeah. numbers. Yeah. But he has managed a um, I think he's got good relationships with Western production you know, stuff. Right. Um, well, the studio, yeah, the studio, his wait, studio is Ghibli. Is that how you say it? Ghibli, Ghibli. or Ghibli? I, I don't know if it's Ghibli okay. or Ghibli. Yeah, it's a good question. It's probably, it's probably Ghibli or something like that, actually. Um, and I'm sure some weebs are going to give us a hard time in the comments. I have been told, by the way, that that is a uh, non slur that's acceptable to called Western anime fans, weebs. <laughs> so if I've offended people, I could switch to otaku. But um, I read a William Gibson novel where, like, 
there's uh there's a great is it iteru i think it's iteru where they have to go to japan and she's like oh that's my brother he's an otaku and she's like oh he's like he likes anime that's cool can we talk to him and she like won't let him talk to him she's like no you don't understand like it's a social contagion like he's an otaku like i, I describing I like an insult okay. basically um yeah so i think that there's like a slightly different connotation uh in the west and the east about what it means so i don't know what what you know, anime, Western anime fans. Um, I'm going to weigh awards. Was it not Spirited Away? Yeah, Academy Award for Best Animated okay. Feature. So I don't know why that didn't come up on the IMDb. but <clears throat> And it won it in 2003. So yes, it was based on the Western okay. release. Uh, I, I That might be why it took two years, honestly, to get over here. It might have needed to... Uh, they might have been staging it to compete against weak-ass <laughs> shit. I don't know what else came. Reasonable. I mean, legit. Yeah. Like if... Di- if Disney's going to pick it up and do the release, like that's absolutely yeah, on their like mind. You will not win um, against one of our releases. That, <laughs> yep. That exactly right. That could easily be it. Um, Cause it doesn't take two years to record. No, but story, they, yeah, know. that's why they threw it through um, the festival circuit and let it gain traction yeah. there. And, you know, it's it still only grossed like 15 million in the U S initially. Uh, well, certainly the audience for anime yeah. in the West is smaller than the aud- audience for anime. Which is wild anime, because I so. was going to film school at around like 2000, like right after this, 2003, 2004. And there was a poster of it up in my, one of my classes. Like it was just immediately. Yeah. But like film school students care. About oh, no, like no. I, yeah, absolutely. Too, but I'm so just like, saying it was such a big a deal. And I remember movie. always looking at the poster on the wall being like, I need to watch that. I need to watch that. I need to watch that. And here we are Yeah, nearly 20 years later. And finally, I've t- finally have gotten around to it. There's like a really strong anti-consumerism message in this movie. Like, I, actually, that is the theme of the movie. <laughs> like the central theme of this movie is do not overconsume. Yes. And it's repeated like in five different ways. You know, you got mom and dad who can't stop eating and turn into big old high impulse. Well, throughout the movie, you've got the big baby that's always eating too. like the, the, the consumption of food. The stink monster is actually a river like angel, but it's been polluted because like what if you look at what comes out of it, it's just garbage. That's why it's a stink monster. So that was he he that was based off of a personal experience where he was cleansing he was clean helping clean a river and they found a bike in it Mm. you know amongst other trash but i think it stuck with him they pulled a full bicycle out of this river and that's why a bicycle would it's funny a bicycle would be one of the less offensive things i can imagine to pull it's like well that's a shame but it's kind of not i don't know i have a hard time calling a bicycle pollution it's just metal it's just returning it's to what nature. stuck with them. So, and that's why when that's she's funny. pulling on the handle and it becomes a bicycle, the bicycle comes off. Well, it's a great visual. It's phenomenal. Yeah. See that the whole thing comes flooding out. And then the faceless, and yeah. then no face. Yeah. He He's whole deal is that he's right. empty inside and he's trying to fill right. himself up and it's, he's filling himself up with the wrong shit. Uh, and he's buying his friendship with gold, spitting out gold yep. everywhere. So what other ways, what other anti-consumerism? Uh, you've got Baba Yaga, which is an interesting westernization of that witch name because like all she's got is gems and jewels and she's like very concerned with that. And the entire spa, the entire movie, she's like hyper concerned with making money and with raising funds and like it is a business. Um 
and so that's, those are the big ones I can think of. And then you get this specific mirroring when you go to Baba's sister's house and she's just like, I just like my humble little garden. Yeah. Well, and I suppose the whole setup too of, cause doesn't dad say, you know, they built these little theme parks all over the place and then they weren't sustainable. There was an economic depression. Yeah. Right. And so they're now they're all just sitting here emptied. And I think they're moving at the beginning for a new job mm-hmm. as well, which I, don't know is on that point, but I could see like, well, that's ambition. And like, there's a, you know, it coincides with this message of consumerism. Like you should stay where your happiness mm. is. You know, you're upsetting the apple cart here. I don't know for sure that that's intended or not, but I could see that being a component here. Um, and also too, like there are moralities and messages and stuff that I am sure in this movie that are just like, whew, right over my head because I'm not Japanese. So, well, what I was going to say about like, did you like this movie? Didn't you like my first point is like, I feel like I need to watch it more. Like I feel like because it's not the way that my brain is, my Western brain is sort of wired that it'll become like, it's the type of movie that upon multiple watchings will become more, oh, this message, that message, you know, just like the first time you're just taking yeah. it all in. And I feel like oh, I probably missed a lot in a single viewing. I really liked it, but it is of the two of my least favorite Miyazaki movies. So, yeah, you, you've you said, because for me, this is just the one that I know because this is the one that was marketed sure. the most in the U.S. But you said amongst anime fans, this probably wouldn't be the most notable so I don't know about that. I mean, that I can't speak to, but I i mean, certainly it's less popular than a lot of shonen okay. stuff, but that's just because that's the cash cow, you know, like the, that, you know, this is like kind of highbrow, you know, um, even by, uh, certainly by anime standards. And so um, I, to some extent, that's my objection to it is that like, it's a very beautiful film. I love this movie. I am so glad this movie exists, but it does feel like a movie with a Mm -hmm. message, you know, like it's an artsy kind of film. Um, And in the, you know, the, and there's a message in all of the Ghibli movies and all of Miyazaki's movies, but like in the body of work, this one feels the most ponderous. I don't know. The most attempting to be Mm. weighty. Whereas like, you know, you watch castle in the sky, like watching that movie the first time I felt like I was, watching star wars for the first time again like it is so and also if you've grew up playing japanese rpgs jrpgs it's kind of insane to see that like oh this movie inspired the entire final fantasy series like every one of those games is just taking this movie this movie Mm -hmm. and turning it into those you know those games um but like you watch porco rosso which has its weighty moments for sure but like also you know i mean like they're fun. They're really fun. Um, Totoro is super fun. Although in a similar vein is this a little bit, a little bit slower, a little bit heavier. Um, well, I think you will really, really enjoy uh, Ponyo, which is his version of the little mermaid. And I don't want to say anything more than that, except for the fact that it's like the weirdest acid trippiness movie. <laughs> I think like it's very high on the levels of what the fuck. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and definitely watch the dub because okay. I don't know how it is in Japanese, but uh, hearing Liam Neeson play <laughs> the sea wizard is a, is a joy. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely gonna like have to Tina dive Fey and stuff. Wow, those like, are huge names. Yeah, 
I was gonna say Spirit. Oh no, yeah, dude. Spirit like, Away is it doesn't have huge names. That's interesting. Totoro has uh, Ellie and Dakota Fanning playing the two girls. And, okay. Uh, a lot of other names, you know, like yeah, it's it's pre. Um, I also am not a huge fan of the world of Arietity. Uh, but I don't know. Actually, maybe that may not be a Miyazaki. Maybe that might just be somebody else at Ghibli. It does have a very different visual. F- I think it is. It's a very different visual feel. It's um, kind of a retelling of The Borrowers, which is a story I'm not super familiar with. Okay. But, um, yeah, yeah. the other Miyazaki movie that I think kind of misses the mark for me is Howl's Moving Castle. Okay. Um, and that's, it just feels incomplete. It just feels like they like forgot, like there's an act or something that's missing from it. Or like, you know, like somebody, you know, you, you make, used to make film movies on reels and it feels like, ah, oh, there's a reel missing yeah. or something. I don't know. I was like, wait a second. I don't, I'm confused well, by this. His, his statement that he doesn't make the films, the films make themselves is a little like that. I'm not surprised to hear that there are some things missing in that case. There is in, I've heard this uh, talked about in writing and applied to George double R Martin. Um, is that there's two kinds of writers. There's plotters and there are gardeners mm. and that George is a gardener and that some writers like, you know, a plotter would start with an outline and then turn that into a really specific breakdown and then start filling in the blanks, like, you know, more and more granularly until it's a whole book. Whereas a gardener kind of just starts writing mm-hmm. and sees where it goes. And like the big thing, and I fully buy this because like, this is kind of how I approach writing when I write specifically when I'm like writing dialogue and characters and stuff like that is that he says, I did not plan. Cause like the whole first book you're expecting and people have seen the show, so it doesn't matter. You kind of expect that it's going to follow mm-hmm, this arc mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. um, Ned Stark is going to be course, a major yeah, character. First big and then out of the blue, Joffrey yeah. cuts his head off. Um, and he says, I did plan that. That's why you think that I did plan for Ned to be a major character. And then I was writing that scene and Joffrey just took the initiative. Um, I think, you know, and to his point, he said, I think even Joffrey thought he was going to let him live until he decided he wasn't. Yeah, I think that's what makes his writing. I totally get that. Yeah, I was going to say for you, like, if you're plotting that then and you've planned this to be your main character, what would actually happen falls secondary to what you want to happen. And I feel like part of what makes him such a... like Game of Thrones, such a fun thing to watch is like Joffrey would cut off his head. There's no question about that. He would. And if he doesn't, you have to give him a reason not to. It just feels contrived. I have so many things to say about Game of Thrones. I just decided we're going to do an episode on the show. Okay. Have you watched all of it? I've watched it. Okay. Because I'm sure like I've heard some real feminist critiques of it as well. And I'm sure you would be able to bring those to bear or maybe you wouldn't you're rolling oh, no, your I'm not eyes. rolling my know. eyes I'm, I'm like i'm sighing actually because like yeah there's some seasons of that show that are really hard to watch for for me i always counter with this is what happens when you let roving bands of young men do what they want with weapons can't disagree and with that's that. the message yeah. and warning I of the show disagree with that. yeah <laughs> it's very feminist you just don't like the way it looks i know it's uncomfortable um, i mean I, I wouldn't yes and and we can go down. We'll we'll save that we, rabbit hole. Yes, it's an episode, obviously. But that is my central com- problem with it: is that the books, the characters do what they would do, and in the show, they do what the showrunners needed them to do. And I hate. I always call it seeing the hand of the writer. In that, like, I hate seeing the hand in the writer, where it's just like this. I'm I'm out. I can feel the writer's mm-hmm. presence. It's ruined it for me. I'm done. 
Um, and that's actually why I have a little bit of a trouble with like a lot of things that are quote nonlinear or where there's like a trick in it. Like I really didn't like, um, I was really put off by the first season of Westworld. Mm. And then I stuck with it a couple seasons after that. And it just like, it was always the same problem for me, which is that like, this guy really wants you to know that he's writing mm -hmm. it, you know? And like, and it just. I can't think of a specific example right now, but there are times when I am okay with that. There's like, if I'm, okay, actually, here's an example. If I'm getting into a soap opera and I know I'm getting into a soap opera, I know what type of storytelling sure. I'm into. Uh, and so sure. that's fine with me. It's easy. My it's sure. It's like candy for your brain. You're on a ride. As you pointed out, I think last week or the week before in an episode, like everything has become soap opera. That's what it is. They just call it something else. Yeah. When you have something like Game of Thrones where it's like, no, this is like what would happen. So when I get to this point in my writing and I'm having to fight against my characters, I take a different route. Then it it feels less soap opera. Yep. It's, it's not as gratifying for the viewer to lose the character that you've been attached to all season or excited to watch move right. forward. But like. Oh, I think it's very gratifying. I think so yeah. too. But. Seeing a show go where it. It. It where no other show would go to me. That's all right. I want. I don't care about tying up storylines. Life ain't mm -hmm. like that. I fully reject Chekhov's gun. I say, you put that gun on the shelf and on the, maybe it goes off. I don't need that gun to go off. It's, there's a lot of things in that room. I don't need the table to fall over either. <laughs> <Sure>. like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I don't need it. There's a fireplace. I don't need anybody to use it. It, it. Maybe that room just had a fucking fireplace in it. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. But uh, like Chekhov's <laughs> gun is the perfect example of like, there's an agreement between the writer and the audience, and I'm not going to give this to you unless it has a payoff. And you hate that. I, yeah, I do hate yeah. that. I, I truly hate that. I can't bite into that. And I honestly like this is, and it's not like a choice I made, honestly, like, but this is my central vibe in what I look for in storytelling and why I think so many people hate my takes on uh -huh. <laughs> is just like, I, I really deeply reject that entire notion. I think one of my favorite things I've ever seen is in the Pacific, which was a mini series that they did on HBO. And there's this, I think he's like a captain or something like that. And he's like a really well-liked character and kind of a semi-major character. And he's like moving up the line and it's like this really great one -er where it's like a single shot and there's like, you know, a line of battle and there's guys moving to the front and back to the front. And he's like, I'm headed to the front and he's got his aide to camp with him or whatever that guy's name is. And he's like shaking hands along the way and the camera's kind of following him and like he's getting out of the frame and he's getting back into the frame and you're following like all these little things. And then like all of a sudden he's coming back into the frame from the other direction dead. And you never see it happen. Mm -hmm. It happens off screen. And it's just like, I don't know. That to me felt so. That's right. Mm -hmm. You don't get plans. Plans don't happen. It's like, I think you can inject any random. It doesn't have anything to do with the plot. You want to throw some random like, and then they got hit by a bus. And now we're doing this story in a different direction. Why'd they get hit by a bus? Because there was a fucking bus there. You know, <laughs> like I am fine yeah. with that. That doesn't bother me at all. I would say I'm fine with that too. I would say if everything has to be that way, then it really limits sort of the uh, possibilities of storytelling. It's sort of like how 
it, my relationship with Breaking Bad, which is going to sound stupid, stupid, stupid. People are going to hate this take, I know. But I watched season one of Breaking Bad. I kind of enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Um, but I was really into this idea of this guy having cancer and like how that makes plans for you that you didn't make. And by the something that happens in the end of season one, I was like, oh, this isn't going to be about the futility of his trying to do anything in the face of this cancer diagnosis he's got. Like, I wanted a show where he just drops it like in the middle of all of his plans and it just, you know, it nothing, he can't really do anything. Like it's a show that that's going to be sidelined and put into the backtrack background so that this character can do all the things that the writers want him to do. And that really, mm-hmm. it just put me off of the show. I couldn't get into it after that. I guess I, I, my read on it was more that like the, the cancer diagnosis gave him the freedom to be the person he would have wanted to be. But like, because like society doesn't let you, but then in a moment of desperation where you're like, well, life has screwed me anyway, so I'm going to do whatever it takes. Finds out that he really enjoys being an asshole criminal. Yeah, he did. Right. That's the idea. Um, well, anyway, that's what I'm saying though. Like, I just can't stand seeing Mm -hmm. the hand of the writer Mm -hmm. in the writing. It really, I just, you don't, you're there Mm -hmm. invent characters, right? That's where you, you can come up with those invent a setting with rules. That's fine. Turn them loose in that setting and let them go where they're going to go. You're only there to just take notes on these people that you made up and not to steer them. Well, and I think this is where like our consumption of media is very different because there are times where I'm like, I don't want to see life as life would be. I want to see life as it could be. I get told that a lot. Yeah. But I, I think that you can still tell that story. And I think that's from what you're telling me about Miyazaki, what your research told me is that like, that's what he does where, but like, if you don't like where this story goes. Go back to the beginning and and populate that world with different people, populate that world with different plot lines, different rules. You know, the reason all of that stuff in this movie happens because of decisions that were made before the first frame of the film begins. There is a polluted river demon who's going to show up at the spa. You know, this guy of no face does exist. And then all of the characters, you know, they interact in, you know, all mm-hmm, of that setting mm-hmm. exists. That's fine. Right the hell out of that. Um, but then when those characters come to meet, when those plot lines, when those, those intentions are at crossed paths, just let them go where they want back to George double R Martin. I think that this is the reason winds of winter hasn't coming out because he kept talking for so long about trying to solve the Miranese plot where he needed all of the, the Miranese knot where he needed all these characters, storylines to interact. And I think that's him mm-hmm. getting in his own way because in the previous books, yeah. he would have never even worried about that. They just would have these stories would have gone where they were going, but now he's trying to force it. And there's like probably no way to do that with the like thesis of the way that he writes. How do you come up with a clean ending? Like things don't end cleanly. They don't end resolutely. They sort of peter out or are anticlimactic in life. Like you don't get this resounding moment. Yes, I agree. I always think that like you can either start the book from where you wanted to start the book and be happy with wherever it wants to end the book ends, or you can start from the ending of the book and work back Mm -hmm, to where mm -hmm. that beginning naturally needs to be. You know, I think that those are your two choices. I think that if you have a beginning and an end in mind, yeah, maybe you could write from the middle out. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I think that you, you run into some, some problems there. Right. And something that's an epic world like that. It's sort of like, here's a period of time in which we are telling the history about this period of time. And I think that's kind of, I think your big problem with house of dragon, right. Was that 
Right, but isn't I it that I watched it, so that was my. Pro- I don't have any problem. I don't know what my problem is. But isn't it that there's some sort of like my problem with it was that I'm not interested in more Game of HBO, Thrones. yeah, fantasy sure. series. But there's there's a text about this period of time that they're going back and filling in these holes, right? Oh, so in yes, so that's my problem. That's that's a problem I have with a lot of Game of Thrones. Okay, we, we're we gonna do an episode <laughs> so, about Game we're of so Thrones. Good at this. Yeah, right. I. At All right. length, All right. I will talk about Game of Thrones. It'll be a three-parter. Um, I probably could be, and I think it would be fine. I think we could do a three-parter on it. All right. Back um, to Miyazaki and but yes, Spirited Away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the whole thing about names mm. is a big deal here, which also feels very, very like Irish, very fey kind of uh, 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 goblin-y. Um, like they change her name, right? So she doesn't know where she came from. What I like about this is she's she's ten. So in the beginning of the movie, her is she ten? She's young. She's ten. Yeah. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, her character was driving me absolutely bonkers because she's afraid of of everything, and I'm like, okay, is this going to be about her overcoming fears? Is this going to be about her? Like, you know, it was like, how how do we get to the other side of just like spending five minutes at the beginning of every scene being like, no. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Um, but I feel like 10 is, is an age where you realize that like your parents aren't perfect. Bad things can happen to you. Like I'm watching my nephews sort of go through this right now, that there is a randomness to good and bad things happening that can cause anxiety, especially amongst kids. Like you're not completely protected. Your parents don't know everything. And so I think with that comes like personal identity. And so what I like about her being 10 is like, she's at this moment of like becoming self self self-sufficient, self-oriented. And at that moment, if you change someone's name, like what does that do to them? Which is sort of what the Haku character says, like he's completely forgotten who he was before all of this because his name was taken from him. And now he's just that person living in this world. I like that. I kind of just assumed it was a component of mm-hmm. like folklore that like, you know, I don't know much about, but I think right now it really is resonating with me watching one of my nephews in particular go through this moment of like, I'm not safe necessarily. And there's nothing that anyone can do about that. Yeah. Yeah. I figured that <laughs> You did. Very, you did. Yeah. I was like him. Everything was great. I even in like <laughs> gymnastics, I just assumed no one would put me in a dangerous situation on purpose. And I saw arms break and oh, things yeah. happen. Okay. How nice! I theater. had a very rosy childhood. <laughs> very, very rosy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm having fun. I, um, I think my favorite thing about this movie, above all else, is that there's no villains. Yeah. There are antagonists. But like even Baba Yaga turns out to be pretty okay yeah, mm-hmm. by the end of this. You know, she's got to play in the card she's dealt and she's providing a service and She's more than happy, like, oh, you you played my right, game and you right. won. Okay, go on. Well, and No Face is just going through his own shit. Like he's got some trauma there. Yeah, he's exactly. Everybody just kind of needs a little healing. Right. And the ways that they're acting that would hurt people are just because of their trauma. I I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> well, for him, for for No Face, but for him, yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's got some flaws. Right, I agree. The witch, not necessarily. She's more tradition based. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I feel like people are playing the hand they're dealt. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly what happens to poor people in the spirit world, but like, she has decided it's not what she's going to be. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, and everybody really likes the spa. 
it's a very popular spot. People are very happy to be there. Um, the people who worked for her are like, it's a good job. You know, mm-hmm. I'm glad to have this job. Uh, you know, nobody's like enslaved or anything like that. Right. Am I mistaken? Or maybe I'm misremembering. I feel like it was the children kind of are. She takes them and strips their name and memory and identity and they become her workers. That felt a little. How often does that happen? Well, I didn't get the impression that it had like really ever happened other than with, Sa- is, uh, with what's her name? It's not Sasuke. That's uh Chihiro. Uh, Chihiro. But she changes her name to like Chia or something. Sen. Um, and then Sen. Haku. And I guess I could be wrong about this, but the other girl that she's sort of the like an apprentice to or is showing her around. I thought she was some kind of like the girl. Goblin. I don't. She's not a goblin. She looks human. Everybody kind of freaks. Yeah. But everybody freaks out that Sen is a human when they're like getting in that so, bed. Nobody cares that she's a human or she never offers like, but so am I like, I don't think she's a human. They do say in like four or five days, the scent starts to go away. Like you kind of, if you come into this world, a human. So that's oh, my read was that this girl came in a long time ago. Her name was changed and now she's become what a part of this world. Her human scent is gone, but oh, um, maybe. Again, I said I'd have to watch it two or three times to really like, yeah. And I could see my mind yeah. being very changed. Yeah, that, by I things. might have missed that. Who's your favorite uh, character? I don't know if I have one yet. Spider guy. Oh, boiler you man. Know, I do. He's like, the he's, best. <laughs> he was the safest I felt in the movie being around him. Scary as hell, but totally like there to a help cool you. Guy. Yeah, I I'm with you there. He vouched for us how she got the job. And he's who she was sent to and has helped other people in the past. I have to say the big fat baby. I like the baby a lot. The baby was weird. <laughs> the baby's weird, but I like that baby. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you on him. I, she turns him into like a little thing at the end. Doesn't she? Like he stops being a baby and starts being like some so, kind of yes. critter, doesn't he? For at least a period of time. I don't yeah, know if he turns awful. back or not. I can't remember. <laughs> what do you think about, is that a spa you'd want to go to? I don't know. It's like an interesting spa. Just like big vats of perfume water. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be really cool. To go yeah. to a place like that. I don't know what that, like what's the deal with that kind of a spa. I got no real basis for well, understanding. Is that like a, is that like a recognizable spa in Japan or is that like, well, it's some crazy demon spa. What the fuck's going on here? You know what I like? I like the belief that these mixtures of certain like scents and oils can actually cure your problems. Like I wish that like, can you sell me a license to sell more licenses? What, what do you mean? sounds like you're going down the mid-level marketing pyramid scheme path there. (laughs) No, but like. There is a part like that stuff works because you wish it to be true so much. Right. So in a world that you've created where all of those things have value and do work and you can be like the guy in the basement who is a master at putting these combinations together and sending them up like I I would love if that were real. Oh, I like the idea. That'd be great. Yeah. If I feel like some. If smelling like a delicious peppermint made my uh, abs yeah. huge or something like that, uh, that'd be great. Or made your anxiety melt away. Like, yeah. I can't relate to anxiety. At all? Yes, you can. Not really. I have very little anxiety. 
you like your anxiety let's use specifically your anxiety about flying since it's come up in this episode if you could smell that's true i got that i guess i do have- oil and get on a plane that'd be fantastic that'd be nice it doesn't work i've tried it now i've tried it i do have anxiety i guess about being a good dad that one freaks me out i'm always there you go i i, I often go to bed think asking myself was was i a good dad today or yeah. like a ghost dad a shit dad um and a lot of times the answer is, I was a shit dad today. I hate that. But like, yeah, if you could go to a spa the day before a flight and it made you good to go, then that's a place I would absolutely love to go to if it existed. So that's the appeal. Yeah. That'd be nice. As far as the aesthetics sure. of the place, I don't know. I have to watch it again. You got to get on the elevator with the big radish man. <laughs> Fine with that. The stink monster, that not so good. Yeah. Yeah. The stink monster, not so good. Radish guy, fine. Radish guy did seem kind of like a nice fella, you know. Have you ever been to a bathhouse or a spa? Uh, a bathhouse? No, I have not been to a bathhouse. I, uh, I that's uh, for a culture that is not mine. Uh, at least as far as New York City bathhouses go. New York City bathhouses are pretty mainstream. You can go to them if you want to. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of ones that are downtown. Um, that's like a gay scene thing. No, not uh, not the Russian bathhouses. No. Not really. Yeah. No. No. Okay. There was actually, I think for like an anniversary, yeah, I was looking into this kind, I guess it was a bathhouse in, it was like some crazy Roman yeah. style bathhouse or whatever that they have downtown. Uh, my wife was like, no, that's weird. I don't want to do any of that shit. <laughs> yeah, she didn't think it was like a weird sex thing. She just was like, I don't want to take, I don't want to get into some pool with other weirdos. Right. They don't all have pools. Most of them are steam rooms. And then the pools that exist in the lake. The bathhouses I'm thinking of in New York are like the 50 degree pools that you pop into for like as long as you can handle it. And then you get out. This place would like bathe you in wine. Yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah. That's more of a spot. I would call that a spot. Yeah. 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 yeah, They're yeah. Like doing a full on attempt to recreate like the spas yeah, yeah, of Herculaneum yeah. or something. You know, some ancient Roman shit. And to me, I was just like, awesome. That sounds great. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> but. I don't I don't think I want to be bathed in wine, but like, why the fuck not? Let's let's go Roman. Let's do it. Yeah, sure. Let's yeah. try it. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's a, I like the movie. I like it. Like I said, I don't think it's my favorite Miyazaki movie. I really like Castle in the Sky. I actually we recently saw his, I don't think it's their maybe it's their first movie. Uh, Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. Mm-hmm. That's a crazy movie. That's cool. And it's based off a of manga. And is that him or is that just the um? It's the name. No, that's Miyazaki. Okay. Yeah, I think it's it's either his first movie or it's like his first real movie or something to that effect. Um, Kiki's Delivery Service is a nice little story. I like that one. Uh, Tale of the Heart's kind of boring, or is it Song of the Heart or something like that? We kept expecting something to happen in it, and like three quarters of the way through, I had to explain to my daughter. I was like, I don't think this is the kind of movie where things happen. <laughs> uh, just so you know, I was like, <laughs> I think that I think it's just she's just. She's just yeah. like kind of learning to play violin yeah, yeah, yeah. or something. <laughs> like, I don't think things are going to happen here. There's going to be a lot of pretty things to look at. Yeah. Well, there's another one called The Cat Returns that we had seen that blew our fucking. It's like one of the most insane things you'll. It's it's hilarious. It's bizarre. Um, and the cat from The Cat Returns is also in that movie. And so we were like, great. I got to see the movie that the cat returns as a sequel to oh, wait a second. What the, mm. this is like a different genre. What the hell is this? Um, it's got nothing to do with the cat returns, no resemblance mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, but yeah, uh, 
They're cool flicks. Totoro is probably my favorite, though. I really, okay. really like Totoro. What this movie achieved is getting me interested in other Miyazaki films. So I guess there you go. That is that is a good sign. Huge win. And I won't, I won't let it be another 20 years before I get around to it. No, we're going to do more on the show, but we're also going to do Game of Thrones. <laughs> Apparently, we both got a lot to say about Game of Thrones. There, there's a lot to say about Game of Thrones. A lot of people got a lot to say about Game of Thrones. Yes, they do. Still. So many years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if we could dust off Mad Men. So I've only seen the first season of Mad Men. Oh, wow. But I've always, it's been always on my forever get to list, but. I always loved Mad Men. And lately I'm seeing a lot of people takes online that like, no, duh, like Don Draper is the villain in Mad Men. You're oh, supposed to see that. Yeah. I don't think so. I, I think it's a real simplification to call him the villain of the series. Um, I don't think he personally, but his kind, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. I think like my aunt, my, I have an aunt uh, who's in her seventies now and she couldn't watch. She could not, not watch Mad Men. It was too triggering for her. Other than having an affair. I don't really know what he did wrong, honestly, in that show. Maybe it's because I'm an awful dude i don't know if it's him personally but it's like who he's trained to be who he yeah maybe that yeah like who he represents maybe it is worth re- yeah. re-watching i don't know uh but yeah uh i don't think i should ask my wife if she thinks he's the villain in it i don't know if she sees that but i should ask her i, I don't maybe we're watching different shows there might it might also be that like there's not a villain it's just like the time period is the villain. Right. The, you know, I feel like everybody the patriarchy is the villain. Everybody kind of takes their turns being a piece of shit in it. Like Pete certainly is a huge piece of shit in the first season, mm-hmm. like a rapist. Um, and I don't know if you can ever wash that stink off you, but by like the end, he's not, he's a much more sympathetic character mm-hmm. by the time you get to the final season. Um, so I don't know. And now we're on Mad Men. Yeah, we're gonna this the, the in one, this episode. We're going to yeah, talk yeah. about all the future episodes. Well, that are yet to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. You know what just happened though? John Hamm got married to. Oh, you don't know this, but in the final season, he goes to like this. I've seen images, so yeah, I do know that. Um, yeah, and I think he's supposed to be hanging out basically with Alan Watts, who is right. Like he's just he's burned out on everything. The time and he's abandoned his life yes. as a ad man. Right. As a, as, as an ad man, sure. oh, well, he takes a step back from it. And while they were filming that in that location, he met someone, they started dating. Now they're married. You know where they had the wedding mm. at the location that cool. they filmed the show. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people are like, that's my work. I want to have a life apart from it. Not this guy. No way, man. I just want to stay in that <laughs> shoot. I really liked filming those scenes. I'm there. That's my whole, that's my marriage. I based my marriage on filming those scenes, man. He's it's probably not all like all that intense, but it's like that's cute though. If it's a scenic, beautiful place where you met, like, heck yeah. Yeah. Kimmy Schmidt. What's that actress's name? Ellie Kemper. Ellie Kemper. He was his uh drama teacher. Really? He was her drama teacher. Funny. Yeah, before he got the gig. Yeah. And uh and she's into some she grew up in some weird fucking <laughs> She I saw her speak live once at like a podcast taping but she she was involved in some like daughters of the confederacy kkk shit growing up yeah oh really she was the uh what was it the 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 veiled prophet of some like 
bizarro ball. And if you look at the veil, the veiled prophet wears, it's a fucking KKK robe. Um, I'm pulling this up right now, but. Ellie Kemper fucking racism. Look it up. I don't think she's no, a racist, but, but she I was, think she grew she up was like some, some weird cult. fucking, some Southern Gothic weirdo yeah. shit holdover from the Civil War. Yeah. There's some guy on TikTok doing like a whole like, I'm going to do a thousand part expo, expose on it. But I'd known for years. It's just like, I was like, oh, uh, people yeah. are finally talking about that. Neat. Uh, <laughs> we listened to a podcast called Dead Eyes that was like about a guy who got fired from, um, was a band of brothers. What's the big like Tom Hanks HBO war? Oh, you told me about this. He got fired for having dead eyes. Right. Because he had dead eyes. Right. Uh, so he, he basically like the quest of this podcast is to get an interview with Tom Hanks and to like <laughs> confirm all of these insecurities <laughs> at this moment, like set in his life. But the reason I'm bringing it up is there's an episode like at the beginning of the podcast, I was really hoping it would go more in this direction. He's talking to all of these famous actors he has access to about their like epic failures and how they bounced back from them. And uh, uh, he talks to John Hamm who spent years being told that he just did not have a face or a demeanor or anything for television. He was never going to be a television actor. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he had to grow into a face, you know, or the right part comes along and he's just the guy for it. Right. But I mean, like the dudes, but on the other hand, like he's a class. But he, man. it took like, him so long to get there co- compared to others. Like he yeah. really didn't get huge until Mad Men when he was well into his 40s. I, I mean, I don't know if they went into this or not, but like his real background is in comedy. And, right in improv and i wonder if that's what it was he was going after these comedy roles and like dude like you're a dr- you're a dramatist like what are you doing this is not the face for comedy that's why this guy is ended up being a comedian it's why he had access to john ham because john ham's friends are all yeah. comedians that makes a lot of sense which is why he shows up in bridesmaids and he's like got a lot of those connections yeah apparently he taught a lot of them how to be funny and maybe I don't know if you, maybe it was like her high school drama. The way I had heard it was drama teacher. And that to me means high school. (laughs) So so I mean, maybe it was like the high school drama teacher. A lot of acting classes. It's like, it's a Barry style acting class. Yeah. But you would never call uh, Gene Cousinow your drama teacher. I don't know about that. The people in his class. You'd call him your acting coach or, you know what I mean? Like my drama teacher. Like that's between (laughs) Jim and That's true. That's true. That's true. I hear that. All right. Any, you got anything else on spirited um, away? We got to do more Miyazaki. Uh, I really liked it. I love the message. I really did. I, I did. It sounded like I shit on this movie. I no, love I don't think this you, movie. I don't it's just not a movie that I feel compelled to revisit in the same way that I do. Like I would like to fall directly into castle in the mm. sky and just kind of stay there. Um, so, or Porco Rosso, which I can't get anybody else in my household to rewatch with me, but that's okay. It's a really good one. So what should I watch? What should I watch next? I don't know. We'll figure it out off the air. Probably Totoro. <laughs> I mean, Totoro is the only counterpoint is that like Totoro has a little bit of the same pacing as this. And I would like, maybe, maybe we should do something that's yeah, cause- wildly different from it. But Totoro is so like. I mean, it's the the logo for okay. Studio Ghibli is totally. Yeah, this has a two hour and five minute runtime. It is long for an animated movie. And it did feel long at points. I will say that. Yeah. And then maybe we should do stuff like Akira too. You know, kind of get off of just Miyazaki. We should do anime, an anime month or anime. Anime August. Anime August. We're already in August. <laughs> yeah. As I said, we'd have to pivot hard. <laughs> 
um i i uh, i'm not like super versed in anime i know like i you know what i've never seen that everybody says oh my god i can't believe you never saw this ghost in the shell but like i've seen ninja scroll i've seen akira i've seen mm. cowboy bebop i have seen big o which sounds like it's dirty it's not um <laughs> the big O uh, no, but that was actually, it's really interesting. It's like almost a companion mm. show to Batman, the animated series that was made in Japan. It's made by like the same studio that made Batman, the animated series and has a weirdly like Japanese version feel of that. Um, I really enjoyed that. I've seen episodes of Inuyasha, but like that's, it's not shown in that show is geared towards teenage girls. And there's a different name for that genre. Um, I forget what that's about. I, I never, I have zero interest in, Full Metal Alchemist, or in the uh, the big skinless demon show, Attack on Titan. Oh, okay. See, I've and the only reason I've heard of any of these things is because we have considered doing episodes of how to drink on any number of them. Yeah, Attack on Titan is past its relevance at this point. But like, honestly, talking about the controversies around that show might not be the most uninteresting thing. Right. Um, but like. I know mo- some movies and what they call the golden age of anime movies, like from the nineties and eighties, not so much from anything more recent. That's about it. Um, all right. I think we should end this fucking episode. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. That's how we're going to end it from now on. Show the fuck over. Um, thank you, Annie Villalobos, our producer, uh, Estrodanaire, And uh, thank you to Heather Vaughn, who did the artwork for the show. Phenomenal artwork. And uh, uh, Studio 71, our distribution partner and our most gracious partner. And I want to thank Meredith for doing the show. And thank you, Greg, for actually making the show possible for being Mr. How to Drink. I'm going to just say you're welcome for all of (laughs) the glory that I am. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) 